and welcome to Digital Health Unplugged. We are coming to you through Zoom from various houses across London, keeping you up to date with all of the healthcare IT news you need. I'm Andrea Downey, Senior Reporter for Digital Health, and I'm joined again by the rest of the excellent editorial team. We have Hannah Crouch, our editor. Hi, everyone. And John Hoeksma, our editor-in-chief. Hi, everyone. So how is everyone on their respective sides of London? It's been so long since I've seen you all, actually, hasn't it? Um, here in South London, um, it is fine. What about you, Hannah? Uh, North London's the weather's changed. It's definitely got colder, which I will welcome because after the mad heat of the sort of last month, where I thought I was going to die from potential heat stroke, um, I welcome the cooler weather. I love autumn. It's like my favourite month, so favourite season or rather. Um, so yeah, enjoying the cooler temperatures. I am all about the heat. I really enjoyed the heat wave and then this is making me miserable. As soon as it starts raining, I'm done with England, um, which is a good portion of the year, actually. So I am. Um, <laughs> maybe I've chosen the wrong country to settle down in. <laughs> Who knows? Um, well, I suppose we should probably talk about news because we don't have that much time. Um, and dare I say it, our news list has slowly started to return to normal a bit more recently. Um, as we started our news team debriefs in January, we were planning on running them in the format of talking about the most popular stories we published that month. Um, and then coronavirus kind of shook everything up and dominated our headlines. So we sort of focused a bit more on that. But today we aren't talking about COVID. We're going to be talking about contracts. Um, a few weeks ago, we reported that Frimley Health had awarded a £108 million contract to US supplier Epic to provide an electronic patient record. And this got us thinking about other major EPR contracts that have been signed with Epic this year. Northern Ireland signed a deal with them in uh, June for £275 million. Uh, that was also for an EPR. And Manchester University Foundation Trust signed a £181 million contract with them in May. So most of the big EPR contracts we have covered this year have been with Epic. But there has also been some movements among other suppliers as well. Some trusts in the north are starting to move away from Lorenzo, which they were encouraged to use under the National Programme for IT a few years ago. Barnsley Hospital has recently ditched Lorenzo in favour of System C's Careflow EPR. Uh, that went live in July. And Sheffield Teaching Hospitals has just issued a £400 million tender for an EPR, which looks like it will also replace Lorenzo uh, just five years after it was installed. So there is lots of contract news going around at the moment, um, which has got to be a good thing, really, because we weren't entirely sure how COVID would impact the industry. So it's nice to see that there are some things still moving. Um, but let's look at the Epic stuff first, because they've won some huge contracts this year. Um, Hannah, you went to UCLH in um, well end of last year, didn't you, to speak to them about their Epic Go Live. Is that an example of why it's proving more popular in the NHS at the moment? Yeah, well, first things first, with a name like Epic, it always makes headlines much easier because you can always get a good pun. So doing an Epic story is always easy on the sort of the headlines and kind of grabs people's attention. Um, but yeah, sort of, so I went to UCLH when they went live, I think it was March or April last year, um, spoke to some of the team and they were all incredibly enthusiastic. You know, this wasn't a phased approach. This was a massive go live that they had across all wards um you know all staff involved um and i guess the thing that i really learned from from my visit there was the the importance of teamwork and getting everyone on board and i think they felt like they had that and they could show that with the product 
And um, I'm not sure if this is just maybe other trusts looking at this and being like, well, this sounds quite a good idea, you know, and pointing in the direction of Epic. But it's just, I think it's key to point out that these these contracts that they're winning are not, you know, small little contracts worth, you know, even though, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't turn down two million. But, you know, these are contracts which are worth, you know, t together in the last, was it six months? It's about 564 million. So just over a billion pounds worth of contracts. And these, you know, these are, these aren't massive trusts. I mean, Frimley is a big trust, but you've got places like Manchester. So you're covering quite a big area um, and, you know, majority of Northern Ireland. So that's why I think we've had to really sit up and be like, what's, what is actually going on? What is attracting people to Epic? You know, previously, you know, Cambridge has only been, you know, a sort of a site that's gone live with it. There's a couple of other ones, which I think the contracts are still going through the process of being signed or approved by boards. But I think Cambridge, with, and then we've had uh, UCLH and Moorfields. So I always forget Moorfields. Sorry, Moorfields. Um, they went live as well. So I think that's what's kind of made us sit up that they've kind of gone from a very small number of NHS trusts and it's pretty much doubled really um, in the last, you know, in about a year or so. So I think it's kind of looking at what is attracting people to Epic who, you know, have always kind of been billed as being expensive and, you know, they're this American company. Um, so that's why I think it's really interesting. Why are people kind of now moving towards Epic um, mm. now? Yeah, I agree. I do agree on the headline thing as well. It's always quite fun to get Epic in there. It's just, I think they chose their name well there, didn't they? Like, it's just, it's an Epic name. Um, John, I wanted to ask you, like, why you think there has been a bit of a resurgence towards Epic? Because as Hannah mentioned, they have previously been, um, you know, thought of as quite expensive. And they're obviously in the US and not here in the UK. Um, so yeah, why do you think there is all of a sudden this surge in popularity towards them? Um, I think um, taking a longer view, it, it, it's I wouldn't see there's a surge of popularity. I think they've been building up, um, um, you know, a bow wave um, over a number of years, ever since they won Cambridge. Um, so, you know, e Epic is box office. Um, it's you know, it's a headline writer's kind of dream, um, and there are some good reasons for that. So, you know, I, I'm a, at one level, I'm a huge fan um, of Epic. Judy Faulkner, its founder, I've interviewed a couple of times. Um, you know, she's the most successful female technology um, entrepreneur in the US. She founded the company. She's grown it. She's done it her way. Um, they have a enviable reputation of success. Um, if they follow the Epic methodology, they pay the Epic price. Um, they generally kind of get what's what's can be widely kind of regarded as a successful EMR implementation. But it's always come at a very, very high um, price tag. You know, it, they are the stellar artois of the um, EMR market, reassuringly expensive. And um, in the US um, healthcare system, where there's far more money um, around, um, that, that, that kind of was never a limiting factor. But in the NHS, it's just always kind of um, um, been um, a question of how the hell can trust justify spending that sort of money? And... Um, I think the answer to that is that um, is that Epic have a knack um, and an approach of selling um, to boards and to clinical leaders um, in organisations. They they don't um, begin um, as a another supplier. They um, they convince boards and clinical leaders that 
to become the kind of organizations they aspire to be in the future requires um, an investment in the epic approach. The, you know, some people describe them as almost cult-like um, in, in kind of um, how they do this. It works. It's, it's you know, technology that's got some pretty old foundations, um, but it's the methodology more than anything, which is um, the secret to the um, epic success. Um, you know, there's been plenty of brickbats about epic, particularly again in the States, about are, are they really kind of um, serious about interoperability? We've had endless kind of um, interoperability kind of um, wars, claims and counterclaims um, in the US. I think on, the, on these contracts, though, what's really interesting is the, the core kind of um, trust that Epic began with were big academic teaching hospitals. You had Cambridge, you had UCLH, um, you had GOSH, all very prestigious international um, um, teaching hospitals. Um, they then kind of extended out to Royal Cornwall, which a lot of people were very skeptical about whether Royal Cornwall were ever going to kind of manage to make the uh, business case um, stack up. They have. And I think Frimley is very much in the same vein um, as kind of um, Royal Cornwall. It's a, a good trust, but, you know, it's a fairly typical trust. It, it's not kind of, um, you know, um, got international kind of reputation. It's got its own um, financial challenges, not, not as many as some. Um, but, you know, they, they have decided they need to make that investment um, and Epic is the, is the one um, that they've chosen. Again, I think, I think the, the kind of, key to epic success particularly is when clinicians um, get to kind of spend time with it they often it's like marmite more of them kind of um, fall in love with it and can't countenance the idea of um, anything else um, i think the um, other contracts northern ireland i mean i still struggle to understand how northern ireland was such a tiny population is spending so much money uh, but the, but they are um, manchester you know for a for a kind of city that managed to size um, 181 million over 10 years, that, that's probably kind of, you know, um, not that bad. The gap between the pricing of Epic and um, the competition, I think, has narrowed. Um, it is still expensive, but it, it's not a chasm, I think, in quite the same way. Um, the, the, the wider question, though, is, um, is although Epic has clearly made headway and, and, and now it's got quite a kind of cluster of, of customers, are I think the arguments... Um, at that level about are the big mega suites really the way for the wider kind of um, NHS to go, particularly as we move into integrated care um, and integrated health and social care in particular. Um, you know, these big one organization implementations just look anachronistic. And, and you know, there are many other technology approaches, particularly based on open platforms um, and open architectures. Um, that just look like um, a, a better prospect for the future. But state of the art, where we are right now, proven kind of um, methodology, um, lots of kind of reference customers. Um, and, um, you know, it's like the old IBM adage, people don't get sacked for buying IBM. That's where Epic is in the market right now. I'm, um, I'm glad you brought up the interoperability thing as well, because in researching for this podcast, um, I had a look at the NHSX health system support framework, which was launched in August last year. And this was NHSX um, basically publishing a list of accredited EPR suppliers um, with the view of helping um, trust and um, basically helping buyers have a little bit more confidence in the system that they were purchasing um, and sort of giving a list of suppliers that they thought would help them better along their digitization journey. 
this whole list was based on um, the future of healthcare report from 2018, which was focused on using technology to further like preventative medicine and personalized care. Um, and one of the biggest things I found in this report was the importance of interoperability and openness in driving that forward. Um, but when it came down to the list of accredited suppliers, Epic isn't on there. There's eight suppliers. Um, we've got Allscripts, Cerna, DXC, which obviously um, runs Lorenzo, IMS Maxims, Nerve Center, Meditech, TPP, and SystemC, but obviously no Epic. Um, so it doesn't look like it's a system that is actively encouraged by the NHS. Um, I'm not saying that they're not, they're saying don't buy it, um, but obviously NHSX are throwing their weight behind these eight suppliers and saying these are the ones to go. So do you think this means that there are some concerns about whether or not it will support our end game goals of like integrated care systems and interoperability? Um, I think that there's a few things there. So first of all, I mean, you know, there's tons of frameworks out there and, you know, we, we, we've multiply seen kind of um, frameworks get issued where no business goes through it or hardly any um, contracts. Um, and, you know, if, if you're an organization, you know what you want to get, you can usually find a way to buy it. Um, you know, you write the kind of um, um, the OGU procurement um, to kind of, um, to kind of, you know, perhaps reflect the kind of outcome you want to get. Yeah, I mean, you know, th th this happens plenty of times. So the fact that they're not on that framework, I don't think worries Epic whatsoever. And it certainly doesn't seem to be doing them any harm um, on this. My guess is that they they didn't want to sign up for the um, terms and conditions or perhaps pricing that was um, going to be required on that framework. The um, question of um, whether they are um, not being encouraged from the centre, I think complete opposite um, on that, Andrew. I think under the um, under the kind of um, you know GDE Global Edition Exemplar Program that we um, had lately, um, I know we're coming to the wind down on that. Um, then Epic and Cerno were very much encouraged. Um, I think there was a deliberate kind of um, policy kind of um, decision taken to. Um, to encourage um, further investment in the incumbent um, top tier suppliers. That was um, clearly the direction of travel that was um, taken. Yes, there was a little bit of kind of a sop given to, to kind of open platforms, but you know, compared to the kind of amount that went to Cerner, Allscripts, um, Epic um, and System C, it was tiny. Um, and I think also what, what GDE did was it very clearly kind of said that um, we are going with the current incumbent suppliers and the model that we will use to measure progress this was written into contracts the trust had to sign um, is um, the hymns mram model um, and epic concern in particular that is um, their sweet spot you know their product their marketing their approach their methodology it's all around kind of getting you to him six him seven all that kind of um, malarkey so no, I think um, I think um, although the you know the kind of um, individuals and the organisations may have changed at the centre, we are getting the outcome that was um, that was directed a few years back. It's been, been a bit of a time lag, but this is deliberate. I just find all these frameworks confusing. I feel like there's loads of frameworks published, and I know that they're only supposed to be a guide, but it doesn't necessarily seem like everyone always buys from them. And if they're not on that framework, but we're encouraged under the GDE program, if I'm confused, I'm sure everyone else is confused, or maybe that's just me, but it doesn't seem like it's an easy process to just buy an EPR for a trust. So yeah, I guess that's interesting. Um, oh, Hannah looks like she's going to say something. 
Yeah, I think the proof is going to be in the pudding, as um, you know, as people say. And sorry to say pudding before lunchtime. Oh, I, um, <laughs> um, I think, like John said, um, kind of the the trust that we've seen go live with Epic have been the academic ones like Cambridge and UCLH. So I think for me, it'll be really interesting to see how things go um, at Frimley and at you know the other sort of smaller smaller kind of trusts that are not maybe so academic and. I think that would be interesting to see whether they become not like a trailblazer, but they come as an example because some of these processes have taken quite a while. And John said they, they do go to the boards and they get the approval and everything. But I think Epic went from sort of signing the contract to going live within the space of one or two years, which is, you know, that's, that's pretty fast in the world of healthcare IT. So I think for me, it'll be interesting. It's great to sign the contract, but obviously the, the end of the day you want to deliver a good product and you want to have something that is is good for the trust good for patients uh good for clinicians so that will be the main test for epic um you know and you know their future in the nhs will be whether they can deliver on what they've sold and whether they are worth the, the millions of pounds that trusts are putting in so that will be the big thing for me i think to keep an eye on over the next few years i, I think part of it is um is um important to kind of recognize that um, that EMRs, EPRs, although totemic and, and such big um, enterprise-wide, um, um, you know, investments um, for trusts, um, you know, are, are not um, panaceas. They they are not going to get you to some nirvana of, of of you know radically improved clinical outcomes, improved productivity. In fact, lots of the evidence, particularly from the states, is that a lot of those kind of benefits um, are very elusive. Now, you can't run a um, complex hospital system um, without good data. So you need the administration stuff. You need the kind of clinical noting. Um, but a lot of the kind of really interesting stuff, particularly kind of um, around um, clinical decision support, workflow, um, you know, cross-boundary kind of um, integrations, um, you know, the, at some point, you reach the boundary of what the kind of closed wall um, of an Epic or a Cerna is, and you have to play into a wider ecosystem. Um, so I think these are these are investments which um, are necessary, but not sufficient of themselves to achieve the kind of digital transformation goals that um, the trusts have. And, and most kind of you know trust CIOs, CSOs, and digital transformation leads absolutely recognise that. Um, also, the, the scale of the investment required. I mean, you know, let, let's not forget that that most trusts are in extreme financial um, distress and, and hardship. Um, this is simply not a route that's open to the majority of trusts. For most trusts, the reality is um, some form of best of breed strategy, um, building incrementally on the investments they have. Even if this was a slam dunk, the best way to go, it is just not financially viable for most trusts. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's very expensive. Um, do you think that Epic has the right track record with interoperability to eventually reach our our end game with you know what the NHS wants to improve uh, wants to achieve? Sorry, with um, shared records. I was just thinking about the. Um, I think it was your story, John. Um, <laughs> I was going to say like a few months ago, but it was January, I think, um, when Epic were potentially going to be, um, well, they were kind of speaking out against the new law in the US that was basically designed to make it easier for hospitals to share patient records with other health organisations. Um, I think under the rule, patients would be able to access their own data using um, 
like electronically but um epic sort of spoke out about it and wasn't too keen on it mainly because they were concerned about the use of health apps that weren't necessarily going to be using the data or might sell patient data but it did they were kind of speaking out against a law that was designed to prevent the fragmentation of the u.s health system so is is that a good sign for us in the uk so i, I think um you know if you think of the last 10 years um when you had um, a lot of investment other meaningful use in the u.s um you know epic for a long time was um the hands down kind of um, winner um, in terms of kind of winning a lot of the most prestigious kind of contracts. And, you know, that, that they, they got a uh, bad rap, particularly encouraged by um, their competition um, in the US um, on interoperability. Um, I think there was certainly an arrogance um, of play with Epic um, um, on the basis they, they thought they always knew what was best for their customers. Um, and I think that that, that has kind of, um, that has kind of been a hard kind of label to kind of um, lose. But I think if you think about why um, US healthcare systems in particular um, have made such significant investments, it's in part because the economics of the US healthcare system um, are very much kind of, um, kind of geared around you retaining customers within your, um, within your healthcare system. You don't want them to go outside. You don't want to kind of, um, have them kind of go to rival healthcare system. So the more that you can um, entwine them and give them reasons not to leave, which kind of carries over interoperability, but isn't always quite the same. And so I think it's contested ground. There are, there are complex factors. I don't think Epic's all bad, but I don't think it does itself any, any great favors at times um, either, but nor, nor the other suppliers I can think of as well. So we've seen a lot of EPR tenders recently um, and like with tenders coming out and also contracts being signed. Are we sort of getting to the point where trusts are coming full circles with their current contracts and are starting to look for something different? And do you think that that means that we will see more deals like the, you know, million pound deals we've seen with Epic this year? Yeah, no, no question. I mean, I think the thing that's really driving market activity is you've got the long, long unwinding of the National Programme for IT. And my God, I am sick to death of kind of having to talk about the National Programme for IT um, over the years. Yeah? Um, but there are lots of trusts, particularly those that took um, Lorenzo um, in the final fag end phases of the National Programme for IT, where they had some incentive monies um, or it was kind of just not viable for them to take anything else, where <clears throat> frankly, it's disappointed. It hasn't got them very far. Um, it's um, given them a limited amount of capability and now they're kind of having to kind of um, pay a market price. They're going out and retesting the market. It's completely kind of um, um, normal. Um, I think a lot of those um, trusts um, are going to kind of um, struggle to pay the kind of price um, required to put something like Epic. But, you know, as we noted earlier on, the, those, the gap is perhaps um, narrowing. I think what's really interesting to kind of watch for is are you going to get many trusts that try and do something else? Yeah? Because what, one of the striking things about EPR procurements coming out is they look an awful lot like um, EPR procurements that came out 10 years ago. Yeah? This market has not moved on nearly as far as, um, as um, you, know, you might expect. Um, you think about kind of the wider technology kind of um, world, things are radically different. Things have absolutely kind of um, transformed. You know, how 
Microsoft has gone from something you bought in a plastic box and installed um, on your machine to, you know, it's all kind of um, 365 and Azure. Um, why haven't we seen that shift decisively happen um, in healthcare? Why haven't we seen a move to um, the kind of kind of open frameworks on which the internet is built um, and that, that has enabled so much innovation um, from such a wide range of companies, you know, from Uber um, and um, Spotify and many, many, many kind of um, others. Um, you know, the current kind of types of EPI, even the more modern ones, look like old technology on an old paradigm. Um, and um, I think it's disappointing that trusts are going out and buying a replacement. But I think that's because there aren't any great options in front of them at the moment that have really proved out. Maybe we should create a digital health EPR and start selling that to everyone. We'd be so rich. God, no. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, may, we may as well kind of like fold the company now. Um, the, oh, that was not it, my best it, business suggestion then. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a rocky path. It's not hard. I mean, I think in all seriousness, um, it's not for want of trying. And um, this is tough. Um, it's a relatively conservative, heavily regulated market. It really does kind of matter um, that you get things right for all the obvious reasons. Um, but um, it is striking that, that health has has kind of not managed to get past the current generation of um, EPI EMR systems, despite a lot of people predicting that you know that they were about to be subsumed mm. or leapfrogged. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with what John said, and I think I think the landscape has changed so much since a lot of these EPRs were implemented. As you all know, you know, digital and the, you know the whole landscape in, in other sectors changes so quickly there's always something new coming out and i think people's and clients um their demands and what they what they're looking for has changed and people and you know it's not a one size fits all which is you know a, a phrase we band about quite a lot customers and clients are unique in what they're looking for and what they're after and i think they are becoming picky because they these are big projects and these are big things that they're implementing and um you know, things like with the National Programme for IT, I'm certainly glad to kind of hopefully wave goodbye to it, even though I wasn't around, you know, to report it. Um, I hate the acronym because when I first joined, I think it was John and you called it NPFIT. And I think it took me about a month to work out what you were talking about. And I was like, NPFIT. And I was like, is this another acronym that I'm supposed to know? And I was like, what, what on earth is NPFIT? And then I was like, oh my gosh, it's the National Programme. And it just clicked. And then I, I suddenly knew what kind of everyone was talking about and I got back on track. But I'm with the national programme, I think it's, it haunts people. It, it kind of it set things back. And whenever you kind of mention it, kind of faces darken and, and, and things like that. But I think now is maybe the time for us to kind of look at something new and other opportunities for EPRs and, and these systems that are being put in. I feel like I'm swearing every time I say the National Programme for IT. It's a look that people give you. And every time I mention it on this podcast, I feel like it's something that everyone just is regretting that I've brought up immediately. Um, but on that note, I want to talk about the National Programme for IT. Um, and I know that John is going to love talking about this because he has just mentioned how much he enjoys it. Um, we've had a few trusts in the last few weeks um move away from lorenzo which was obviously um encouraged um well, it was a chosen service provider for the north midlands and east of england under the national program for it um as i mentioned earlier barnsley has switched from lorenzo to system fees care flow and that system went live in july 
and Sheffield is currently uh, tendering for a 400 million pound uh, EPR that looks like it will replace Lorenzo. Um, they signed with Lorenzo in 2015 for a 10 year deal, um, but they're advertising now. So it does look a little bit like they're planning on replacing Lorenzo before that contract is over. Um, I'm really sorry to have to do this to you, John, but I wasn't even in the country for the national program for IT. So this is my excuse. You were around for it. Um, you sort of saw the failings of it. Why did Lorenzo not work out as planned? And why do you think Trust is starting to move away from it? Um, <clears throat> okay. Um, fun, fun, fun questions. Yeah. Look, I think we're going to kind of declare a kind of um, a new rule on, on these podcasts where instead of calling it MB Fit, we're going to call it the program that must not be named. We're going to borrow from Harry Potter on this. Yeah? <laughs> the, um, so why? Um, the, the technology um, always kind of um, fell short of expectations. Um, Lorenzo um, never really managed to kind of um, live up to kind of promise. It was perennially late. Um, I mean, ultimately, the, the NHS um, made the mistake of buying a product that was still um, being developed and was a um, set of kind of PowerPoints. As a result, kind of... Um, <clears throat> wound up kind of um, having to implement a bunch of kind of old legacy stuff that was in what was um, then the ISOFT um, portfolio. A lot of that legacy still around. It's old. It's it's not um, very good. Um, you know, um, I don't want to kind of re retell the whole story of, of the National Program for IT, but on the core piece around kind of um, modernizing the hospital kind of um, EPR systems, um, you know, the Lorenzo stuff just wasn't that good and um, took far longer um, benefits were more limited. And I think Cerner was not exactly kind of a fantastic kind of story either. I mean, that Cerner was a better product, uh, more mature, but you know, a lot of trusts were very slow kind of to unpack it and kind of um, realize the benefits from it. Um, but um, essentially, we've come to the end where any monies that were, um, were kind of um, provided to trust to kind of um, support um, the systems that got into the National Programme for IT have finally come to an end. There was a a late kind of um, long tail of them um, for those late Lorenzo ones. Um, and and we're having a kind of very normal kind of market kind of refresh. Um, I think, um, you know, Sheffield kind of um, certainly got a good indication on that. I mean, Sheffield had a torrid time with um, their, their kind of um, Lorenzo implementation, um, you know, back in the kind of early days. Yeah, because Lorenzo was linked to um, a little bit of money loss at Sheffield as well, wasn't it? They had some issues with uh, patient letters not being printed. Um, and I think when it came, when they like, looked at it, um, it was in one of their reports on how, on how the system was going. And they found that it was due to clinicians having to redo things and like wasted time. Uh, it was costing them about 12 million to start with um, in in tasks not being completed. So that's obviously not what you want from a big system that you've just paid a lot of money for, is it? I think with, with um, you know, the national program or the program that shall not be named, um, cast a long shadow. I mean, it began, um, it, it's kind of early days where almost 20 years ago, you know, not only were you not at digital health and not in the country, you were still at school for crying out loud, um, Andrea. Um, I'm, not, I'm not that young, <laughs> probably out of school. <laughs> But thank you for thinking I was so youthful. Um, it's cast a long shadow. Yeah. The next thing I just really wanted to ask is, does this signal the end of the effects? And like, does this signal that we are finally moving away from all of the things that happened under the program that shall not be named? Um, 
that have left this you know lasting legacy of an IT program that failed? I think um, the other word that I don't like using, the C word, the COVID word, has maybe... I was held... wondering where that was going for a second, <laughs> Hannah. Um, I never swear on the podcast. Um, yeah, the, the COVID. I think coronavirus has been something that's uh, shaken up the, the whole sector and has kind of shown people what can be done in short amount of time. So I think, like John said, that the national programme dragged on for so long and maybe that's why these systems were failing because the landscape had changed so much in that time and things that they may originally wanted 10 years ago may not be relevant now. And even with COVID, you know, priorities have changed and there's been interest in other areas and we have the whole idea about localised um, planning and, and, you know, the sharing of records. And I think, I think things like the, the, um, the coronavirus pandemic has shown us is that you know, small amounts of innovation and other projects can be done in short amount of time and can kind of, and projects don't have to drag on for years and, and things like that. So I think maybe, I think like John said, it will cast a long shadow and I'm sure the national programme will bring maybe tears to the eyes of some people who are there to remember it. But I think we've had another, another kind of big, big event happen, which has been coronavirus. And I think in terms of healthcare IT, it's kind of been the thing to maybe resurge it and bring it to the forefront and bring it to people's minds that the health tech can be done well in the NHS under increasing pressure and under maybe not the most perfect conditions, but they can still do it. And I hopefully, while, you know, coronavirus has been, you know, it's been a pandemic and, you know, it's been such a, the country and the whole world's been through so much. I hope that the effect it will have on health tech will will give it the reputation it needs for the next couple of years. So I, I think you know the 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 long shadow of um, of the national program. Um, we, we're largely out of it, and, and and have been progressing for a long time. In many ways, I think kind of um, you know um, it, it it's um, symbolic, uh, but also significant that CSE um, and most recently is DXC. Um, has in the last month or two sold its um, healthcare business. So Deadless, um, um, you know, of Italy um, have just bought that um, business. I think that 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 ends the last kind of direct links um, with um, with the national program kind of um, era there. Um, and you know, mo- most of the progress and a lot of the interesting areas are no longer kind of happening primarily in 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 the EPR space. I mean. You know, we've seen huge progress on integrated care records, uh, particularly at a local level. Um, we have, um, during the kind of um, pandemic, seen um, a lot of kind of um, kind of um, progress on on remote care, <coughs> and I think that paves the way to virtual care. Um, you know, we've seen the likes of Livy and Babylon kind of really kind of accelerate um, um, their rollout. Things are moving, yeah. So it is not all about kind of doom and gloom and EPR in hospitals, yeah. Um, but um, but the fact that you 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 have such a technical debt still, whose antecedents and roots go back to the national program for IT, is a matter of frustration. I think one of the questions which which um, you know is still worth asking is where might we have been if we hadn't wasted so much time, energy, or resource. Um, on such a kind of um, ridiculous program. Yeah, I agree. And I agree with Hannah as well. I do think that coronavirus has shown how quickly we can do things under 
really immense pressure. Um, and I really hope that that does carry on um, in the future and shows that maybe we do need to move a little bit quicker because the landscape changes far too quickly otherwise. Um, that is something Matt Hancock has said in his recent speeches, um, that he wants to get rid of the red tape and uh, all of the bureaucracy around it. So hopefully, hopefully as we move forward, we'll be a little bit quicker. Um, but I think that is all we have time for today because we've been, we've been on the call for a little while. Uh, so John and Hannah, thank you very much for joining me again on Digital Health Unplugged. It was fun as always. And to all of our listeners at home, thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget, we publish fortnightly on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and we are soon to be on Amazon Music as well. So do keep an eye out for us there. Uh, that's it for this week, guys, and we will catch you next time. <laughs>